extreme weather. The Bible talks about how we, we won't be able to determine the seasons. That one was pretty easy to determine. Yeah, so we know what was going on with that one. It was definitely, hopefully, our last winter blast this year. And But God's good. Amen. He brought us all through it. We're going to be all right. And right now, we're here to dig into the Word. We're going to learn the Word. And it's just good to be back in God's house. We're blessed. We're blessed. Yeah, we really have to be careful in times and situations like this because it's real easy. You know, coming coming to church, making yourself get up out of bed and come to church has to become a habit. It has to become part of your life. And that's something that it's real easy for the enemy to step in and change that habit. So we have to push through. No matter what this world throws at us, no matter what the, the weather throws at us, we have to be safe. But we got to keep going. We got to push through. We got to continue to put yourself in God's presence, and that's why we're all here today. Amen. It's it's time to learn the word. So Amen. let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this chance to be here and learn your word. Lord God, we just ask for your anointing yes. to fr- flow freely throughout this building this morning, and just anoint the teachers, bring forth the word you want it brought out, and just bless us here today. We thank you for this chance and opportunity. To be here and learn your word in Jesus' name. In Jesus' Amen. name. Amen. 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 Good morning, Rock Harbor. Good to see everybody. Yeah. Glad to be here too. If the sun, if the sun was out, I may have recommended we just go out and have church outside. I could use I could use a good dose of vitamin D. <laughs> Could use a good dose. All right, page 56 in our study guides. I had all my stuff ready, and I left it on the table. And we were already like halfway, so you know, when it's 14 miles, you don't go back. So if it seems like I'm maybe trying to figure out where I'm at exactly, I'm lost. I really am. So I've got I've, I've got Luana's book. She's let me use that, and I think I remember the notes that I put down. So we're gonna we're gonna go through this anyway. There's a lot of good points that need to be made uh, in this lesson, uh, talking about uh, Jesus standing trial. One thing that I made sure I made a mental note of um, that I want to make sure I want to kind of create a uh, a platform in which to say some of the things that are going to be said this morning, because. Um, by talking about some of the things that we're going to be talking about, I don't want to create the wrong image, and I don't want you guys to take me the wrong way. And what I mean by that is, is that we have to be very careful as Christians, and this is something that me personally, God has been dealing with me about personally, about the words that I say, because um, I was checked on it not too long ago, probably back when we were kind of on the, you know, as the whole political thing was winding down, God really dealt with me about the words that I was saying, things that I was telling people. And the last thing that I want to do is to create an us versus them mentality. I never want to create that. So let me say that up front, that as we discuss some of these topics, and and I'll probably point, if I can remember where my notes are at, I'll probably even point out a couple spots that this was one of the places where I want to make sure that we understand I am not trying to create an us versus them mentality. I simply want to talk about what God's word says and to look at some of the parallels of what was going on back then and that time and then what was going on, what's going on right now in this time. It's very easy to villainize people. It's very easy. 
it's very easy to, to villainize political parties and the people that represent those parties. It's easy to look at someone else and say, if not, if not for your behavior, this world would have been a lot better place. It's not, not what I want to create in a church environment. We're here to discuss and we're here to talk uh, about the things that God's word says. And, and I don't want you to take the things that I say. And you know I'm very careful about that. And I'll always tell you, hey, I'm going to tell you what my opinion is here. This is my opinion. But it is, I'm not, I don't want to create uh, an environment this morning that says, you're right. Those people are, have been awful and, and, and they're evil and, and all of these things. Don't want to do that. That's not what we want to do. We're God's people, right? We're about love. Is that correct? Amen. Amen. So if, if, we're, if we're about love and we're about godly things, then we should also act and carry ourselves that way. It also comes, uh, well, directly related to the words that we speak out of our mouth. All right, page 56. Central truth is Jesus displayed humility in the darkest hours of his life. Key verse, Mark 14, 60 through 61. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Let's get started. Since its founding in 1992, a nonprofit organization called the Innocence Project has helped to exonerate hundreds of people through DNA testing. Most of these people had been tried and sentenced based on bad evidence and or false accusations. Jesus was tried and convicted without due process of law. All right, so quickly, someone tell me what due process is. In a nutshell, what is due process? Due process. Due process is fairness. Unfairly. Well, due process, that's the opposite. Due process would be fairness. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about, they're going to be talking about some judicial terms and terminology here. So what due process was, or is, is supposed to be fairness throughout the judicial system. Mm -hmm. You be treated fairly. Now, of course, you know, obviously we can easily point to a lot of situations in our society where we don't believe the due process was used. The connection here is to show you that due process was not used when Jesus was tried. And I think that's, there's some parallels there because we can see a lot of things that Jesus went through are a lot of things that we're going through today. A lot of the things that happened in that society are a lot of things that we see happening in our society today. I mean, it's, and it's easy to see those uh, correlations. And I think that, you've heard me talk about this before, I think that we need to be aware of these things. I'm not saying you need to go out and just stir up a, a ruckus and then you know go rebellion on everybody and, and anarchy. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we need to be aware of these things. We need to be very aware that there are things that are going on in our society right now that are changing the view and changing the outlook of things for, for generations to come. Now, that should be alarming. If you have a mentality that, what does it matter? I'll be gone before too long anyway. doesn't really matter. Well, that's not really a good attitude to have about it. Because we could easily say, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm careful about saying this because I don't want to create the wrong picture. Yes, Jesus could come back at any time. He could. Amen. He could. Anytime. I would definitely say we're closer now than we've ever been, right? Amen. Okay. With that said, what if this thing still goes on for the next 75 years? What about my great-grandchildren? Come on. Amen. If, if, we, 
if we always have a perspective that, well, what does it matter? Do what you want to do. I'll be gone anyway. That's not a good perspective to have. Or the perspective of the, it's almost like, um, like we adopt this, well, Jesus is going to come back, so it'll fix it all. I believe you. I believe Jesus is coming back. But for the time being, we need to be proactive. We need to be aware. And we need to continue to be the, the very thing that lives out the gospel in front of this world. We need to continue to do that. That's very challenging. It is. It's very challenging now. I, I'm not really big on adopting, um, oh, how, how do I put it, um, like a all-in idea. And what I mean by an all-in idea is it, we create an idea that it's totally to one side. And it's going to happen exactly like this. If you hadn't figured this out in your life, life is full of variables. Tons and tons and tons of variables. So when we start talking about the return of Christ, we start talking about the signs, we start looking at the signs, we say, yes, he is coming soon. Let me give you just a brief, just a brief story, and then I'll, and I'll get back to the topic. Um, I remember when I used to go down to the Church of God here when I was uh, 16 years old. I was saved when I was 16. That's when Misty and I met. I was 16, she was 14. And um, I remember the guy that used to pick me up, they would, uh, he had a daughter, and she would ask me, she said, when are you and Misty getting married? <laughs> and it was always fun, you know. It's fun to talk about, you know. little girl was, was excited about that. Now, we're 16 and 14, right? Long way away. And he said, They'll, they're not going to be married. Jesus is going to come before them. Every, that was his answer every single time. He said, Jesus is coming before them. They're not, they're not going to ever be married. Well, I'm married. I have five kids. I've been married for 19 years this coming Tuesday. So, thank you. With that said now, if I'd have went all in and said, you're right, what, am I, what do I need to worry about that for? We're never going to make it that far. We made it. So you think you got to think the same thing about your children and your grandchildren. You got to think, ah, you guys don't need to worry about that. No, we need to worry about it. Not in the sense of weighing us down, but being a, aware that we don't need to fold right now. It's not the time to fold. This is the time to really push and make sure we keep the gospel in our society. I think, I think too often we get too attached to, at least I know that I had been, too attached to, watching uh, politicians make decisions and then weighing on what was going to happen based on what they did. The gospel, whether, whether it's Republican or Democrat, the gospel is not based on, it, whether it goes forth, it's not based on who's in office. That's based on me. Amen. That's based on me. And, and far be it for me to put that responsibility on someone else and say, you need to do it the way that we want to do it because it makes it easier on us. Well, history is just laden with the church not having a really good time and it making it quite difficult at times for us to get the gospel out. If we have to go through that, then so be it. But it's not anyone else's responsibility to spread the gospel but mine. So whether you tell me it's the law or whether you don't or whether you tell me it's okay for me to say that or, whether, or, or not, it doesn't matter. I don't need your permission to spread the gospel of Christ. Come on. Right we've got to, as God's people, we've got to really come, come to that place. Okay, so due process is fairness of law, in his case, by those with bad motives. The Jewish religious leaders wanted him to be convicted and handed him over to be killed. 
If we were to bring up the topic of injustice, the discussion could certainly be applied to the trial and execution of Jesus. All right, so briefly, someone tell me what injustice is. You hear about this a lot, right? This has been a hot topic, injustice. And there's always seems like, and I think you understand what I'm saying, it always seems like there's somebody standing up saying they have endured some sort of injustice. Okay, first of all, let's get the obvious out of the way. Is there injustice out there? Yeah. Okay, absolutely. That's a given. But we also have to be careful not to notice the, the, the flow of society. The flow of society now is beginning to glorify injustice. It's been glorified. It's put it up on a pedestal. It's like this person has been treated unfairly. Absolutely. I'm not disagreeing with that. But there's been people have been treated unfairly for decades and decades and decades. We talk about being treated unfairly. It's easy to point to injustices everywhere. I don't, and it doesn't matter about the race. It doesn't matter the, the color of your skin. It doesn't matter uh, where, what country you come from. It makes no difference. There's injustices everywhere, not just in the United States, but worldwide. So when it says here, it says if, if we were to bring up the topic of injustice, the discussion could certainly be applied to the trial and execution of Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely we can talk about that in the context of Jesus. We can definitely look at his life, look at what he represented, and then look at these events and watch them unfold, and we can see the injustice. We'll look at that here as we go. Considering that Jesus did no wrong but only good, it may seem surprising that he was arrested and put to death. However, Jesus was not surprised by these events. He knew the sinfulness of human hearts. He also knew the Father's plan involved his death and resurrection. As we study Mark 14 and 15, we are reminded that the events of our own lives do not surprise God either. Okay, this brings up a very, very good topic. And once again, this is one of those places where I want to be really careful because a lot of people believe a lot of different things. When I ask this question, you'll know what I mean. We said here, since as we study Mark 14 and 15, we are reminded that the events of our own lives do not surprise God either. Okay, so I would, I would also agree that the events of my own life do not surprise God. The things that you've gone through, they don't surprise God. But let me ask you a question. I think this is very important. How do you see God as far as the way that he understands what you go through? Do you see God as a God who, um, as the Bible would say, I think that was, um, is it omniscience, I believe? All-knowing? Omniscience, I believe, is all-knowing. Omniscience being all-knowing. Do you believe that God is an all-knowing God to the extent that he already knows what you're going to do before you do it? Or do you believe he is a God that allows free choice, but he understands and knows the end result? Come on, I am. Now, now, I'm, now, I'm not asking you to give me hands, and I don't want to know anybody's opinion, because what we're going to do, what we do there, is then we'll pit people's opinion versus opinion. I'm not trying to do that. I want you to look at the way that you think about it, because it's very important that you, the way that you see God in that manner is the way that you're going to live your life. I had a conversation with somebody not too long ago, and, and I'm, I'm going to unfold what I believe on this. We're having this conversation. He said, God already knows how I'm going to die, so it doesn't really matter what I do. Mm -hmm. I said, hold on a second. Now, God's all-knowing. 
And I get that. But if we start attributing him to the point of saying, well, he already knows how all this is going to go, so it doesn't really matter what you do anyway. Do you see the danger in that? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a dangerous mentality. Amen. Starting to consider that, well, God already knew all these things were going to happen. Well, I don't have time to get into all the, the biblical evidence, but there's some, some great scriptures, and when we start talking about you know, the way God has foreseen certain things. Now, there were certain things that were called out in the Bible. You know, God said these certain events are going to take place. Is it because that God can foresee the exact steps that are going to lead to that? Or does he understand humanity? It's kind of like this. I'll give you an example. Take a car. Buy it brand new, right off the lot. Brand new car. I, I don't have a lot of knowledge about vehicles, but I know enough to know that if you drive that vehicle enough, at some point in time, it's going to break down. Mm-hmm. Come on. Some point in time. The thing could have the best running engine. It could have all kinds of special features that make a difference. At some point in time, that car is going to break down. And I don't have to be super intelligent to understand that. I just know that over the long haul, it's going to end up this way. I truly believe that's the way that God sees a lot of things that happen in humanity. Does he know every last step that you're going to take? I don't believe that. I do believe that he knows how it's going to end, though. I believe it. I believe, I believe in Revelation, don't you? Yeah. But what is, that, what is that based on? Is that is that based on just the predetermined path, that God's already worked out a path for you, and he knows exactly where you're going to eat lunch today? Yeah. Well, if he already knew all those things, then where's the power of choice? Come on, amen. Amen. But see, I know no matter what choices you make, that vehicle's still going to break down at some point. Why? Because it's in its nature. It's going to break down at some point. I change the oil. I can do everything I can. But at some point, something's going to wear out. It's going to cause it to be grounded. Amen. Because it's man-made. It's man-made. God understands humanity that way. He's like, look, it might be delayed for a while. You can make the decisions to avoid it, but at some point in time, you're going to follow your natural roots, and you're going to end up right here. It's the way it's going to end up. It's the way it's going to be. You still get to choose. I think it's important. It's very important that we understand God correctly. Because if, if we always look at God as being the God that already knows uh, your life to the point where he knows every step that you're going to make, and you don't actually get a choice in the matter, it's already predetermined, that changes the way that you live for God. It changes your perspective. This conversation that I have with this gentleman was the, was the same. It was, it was about, if, I are, if he already knows that I'm going to die on a particular day, then I'm just going to live life and just do whatever I need to do. And I said, well, I mean, a lot of those factors play into it. Your diet, how you treat your body, how you take care of yourself. There's, there's promises that God gives in his word that you can have longer life if you'll, follow, if you'll honor your mother and your father. Yes, amen. amen. He promises long life. So you're telling me that it doesn't really matter, though. Yes, it does. It's already predetermined. He already knew whether I was going to honor him or not. No, it's a choice. You get to choose. I tell you that because we need to make sure that we, we understand the God that we serve. We understand 
the, 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 the version of him that, that is on high, and he's intertwined in everything that you are doing. He knows your heart. Yes, uh, the Bible says that he is, uh, his, uh, his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Now, that takes it into a completely different realm. He said, I don't think like you do. As a matter of fact, my thinking is higher than your thinking. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out God, and, but God already understands me. Well, you don't say that God knows our hearts. He knows the hearts. And he knows more or less what I'm going to do before I do it. Mm-hmm. Because he knows me inside and out, and you know, mm-hmm. and everything. But still, he gives me a choice to make up my mind. You got to make up your mind, right? Of what I want to do. If I if I want to go against him, I will. Mm-hmm. And if and he'll he'll just step back and let you choose this day whom you will serve. But he won't just turn you loose. Right. Well, yeah. If yeah. He is, and you love God. He loves you. He's gonna be with you. What do you what do you do what he tells you to or not? <clears throat> well, and that brings up a good point. I mean, you think about predestination. That's what I'm actually talking about is predestination. If, if God is a predestination God, then he already knows who's going to be saved and who isn't. Now, that'll fool with your mind. Mm-hmm. Amen. If, if we believe God to be a God of predestination, then you also have to throw that in, in the mix. He already knew who was going to be saved and who wasn't. That means you didn't even actually get a choice in the matter. You were just a part of the plan. And so that would mean also that all the ones that are not saved or who ultimately won't be saved are not a part of the plan. That would mean Jesus' sacrifice wasn't necessarily for everybody. It was actually only for certain ones that were involved in the plan. See, that's not right. God's plan is for all people, correct? So Jew and Gentile, it's for everybody to get to make the choice to choose to serve him. Whether they want to or not is up to them. That is the version of God that I believe in. Yes. Well, you know, I prayed for several years, and I, I was saved, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, God kind of backed off and let me make some mistakes, mm-hmm. and I had to, I had to uh, repent of them, and uh, then uh, I asked God to do something, and He didn't do it like I wanted Him to, so I got mad at Him, and right. I, and I could have stayed mad at Him forever, mm-hmm. you know, if I wanted to, but I, I got so hard in my mind. And in my life, but I didn't, I seen, well, God, you done it, but, you know, you didn't do it the way I wanted you to. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to, uh, anyway, I came back to God and, and yeah. uh, repented because I was mad at him. I told right. God, I'm sorry, I'm mad at you. Right. I was mad. <laughs> you got to be honest. I was mad at him because he didn't do it the way I wanted him to. Right. But he always takes care of things if you let him. He does, absolutely. But he, he, he's going to put you through some trials. You're going to go through some trials that will almost take you down. Yes. And Will. he does that for a purpose. Yes, he allows those to things. To show you that he's really God and he can handle everything. Yes, absolutely. That's a good point, Jim. All right, let's just jump right into our scriptures this morning. I want to keep things moving. And I understand that those are that's kind of a hot topic. So I if you don't... Believe exactly the way that I believe, or some of the things that we talked about this morning. It's okay. You don't have to. Don't 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 uh, don't be upset about it. It's 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 definitely something though that I want you guys to examine your hearts about and your minds and be thinking about those things. Sean, sir, get on there. Yep. Mark fourteen forty three, and immediately while uh, yet spake, cometh Judas one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and sheaves. 
from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straight away to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid, hand, laid their hands on him and took him. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death, and found none. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And the high priest rent his clothes and say, saith, What need we any further witness? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And straight away in the morning, the chief priest held a consolation consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto them, Thou sayest it. And the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. So Pilate, willingly, willing to content the people, released Barnab Barnabas, Barabbas, thank you, unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Very good. Section one, betrayed and arrested. <clears throat> the night before Christ's crucifixion, he took his disciples to Gethsemane to pray. He brought Peter, James, and John nearer to his place of prayer, then moved ahead and fell to the ground in heart-wrenching prayer. We all we've kind of covered some of this before, so and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rehash uh, those particular events. Um, but we know, you, you remember the scenario. You remember that the time was drawing near for crucifixion. He was vexed. He asked Peter, James, and John to come and pray with him. Uh, he needed some backup. So we, we, we know where, where they're at here. He's got the heart-wrenching prayer. It says, the disciples fell asleep. As Jesus was rousing them for the third time, Judas appeared with a crowd bearing swords and clubs. And Judas told them to lead him away under guard. If I remember correctly, Jesus... You know, his, the, the narrative was that he was encouraging them to wake up and pray. At a particular point, that narrative changed. And he said, go on and take your rest. Sleep, it doesn't matter at this point anymore. This is going to take place and happen. Now, we understand and know that there were other times that they had tried to kill him. They always escaped. But he understood that this was, as far as the time was concerned, he knew that the timing was right. It was like, it's now. 
we've got to let this happen now. I truly believe, based on some of the things that I'm seeing in Scripture, there were other times that this tried to happen. But Jesus escaped and said, no, no, it's not time yet. Not time yet. But when it was time, if you'll notice, he caves to it. Uh, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that he could have escaped this if he had wanted to. No doubt. If he had said it's not, it's not the Father's time yet, he would have made up a way of escape and he would have got away. But he knew it was time. All right. So Judas told them to lead him away under guard. Early in his ministry, Jesus had escaped an angry crowd intent on killing him. Judas did not want those with him to lose track of Jesus, either through Jesus' own actions or any attempt by his disciples to free him. <coughs> Jesus' treatment by Judas shows the pain of betrayal by someone close. Judas called Jesus rabbi, meaning master or teacher, and greeted him with a kiss, a common practice for a disciple to his teacher. Well, let's, let's, let's look at it like this, and let me, let's pose a question. Let's look at it as close friend. You've had close friends before, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever been betrayed before? Mm -hmm. uh, we call that like, stabbed in the back in Western culture. You were stabbed in the back. You were done. You were done wrong. Let's put it that way. Uh, one of the greatest, one of the great parallels, and we know that one of the biggest things that we can discuss from from a Bible perspective is how to forgive people. I think that's probably one of the the, the most difficult, most deep and intimate things talked about as far as conversation is concerned is forgiveness when if you try to look at what Jesus went through with Judas not from the perspective of we already know how this is going to end because once again we have a tendency and I'm not saying you've done this but I've done it you have a tendency to villainize Judas and because he fits the perspective of villain we actually miss the point of the story now let me ask a question do you think that Jesus loved Judas? Amen. He loved him. Amen. And so, you then if you if you can understand that he loved him, then you can understand the power of the betrayal. Because, like I said, I mean, if you read through it from a just a reader's perspective, you think, you know, Judas is so awful, awful guy. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he got caught up in that. I can't believe he came up and kissed him. My goodness, he just, it's like a, like a slap in the face. But haven't we done the same thing to Jesus ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. Haven't we betrayed him before? Walked away from him? Not done like we were supposed to do? Amen. It's, it's such a great parallel and an ability to learn here. Even though Jesus understood, he still loved him. He understood, though, what he would come to do because ultimately the Father had allowed this to take place because this fit the ultimate plan. I can't imagine being in Jesus's place being betrayed that way even though he knew it was going to happen he knew it had to take place like that it had to hurt it had to hurt and so one of the things I want to encourage you and I, and I know when I say this it seems simple but I know it's not simple it's always to make sure that in your life that you've forgiven the people that are involved in your life that you've forgiven them because unforgiveness doesn't always have a face of disconnection a lot of times unforgiveness you can harbor unforgiveness with somebody who you spend time with every day a lot of time it's not well I've been unforgiving so we quit talking well that's obvious that's the easy that's easy to identify it's harder to identify when you have figured <clears throat> out a way to continue to live around them and still harbor unforgiveness mm -hmm. family cult friends 
coworkers, people that you've you've been with that you're close to, those are the things that to me seem the hardest because they're the hardest to filter out. It's like, well, I talked to them today. We're okay. I don't know. Examine your heart. You tell me if you're okay. You tell me when you get around them that, that, that it, you're upset and you get frustrated and emotions become come rolling back. I'm not saying that you won't struggle sometimes, but have we authentically forgiven the people in our lives that have done us wrong? That's a, that's a challenge for Christians. That's a challenge for us this morning. But look at this parallel because he still loved you. All right. So um, Jesus' treatment by... Okay, I already read that. Uh, greeting with the, uh, the kiss. Peter attempted to defend Jesus by lashing out at the servant of the high priest. So what did he do? You remember what he did? Cut his ear off. Now, this is, an, this is a, an important thought, and I thought about this. <clears throat> they were attacked different times, but no other time do we find Peter drawing a sword and cutting somebody's ear off. And I thought, it's interesting to me, because where was Peter at up to this point? You'll remember? He was sleeping. Mm-hmm. If, there, if there's any lesson that I learned here, Peter didn't like to be startled out of sleep. He didn't like that. I imagine he's a fiery guy, right? If you've ever studied anything about the, the individuals, Peter was kind of a fiery guy. He's very passionate. And so you can imagine his passion. I'm just trying to imagine him. He's laying there, he's sleeping, and here comes Judas with all these soldiers. And he awakens out of this, and he's like, what's going on? The last thing I remember, we was praying alone in the garden. It was nice and peaceful. Next thing I know, I see torches. I see people coming, and they're grabbing my master. And what does he do? He pulls the sword out. The only time that we can find that he actually pulled the sword. That's interesting. Because he wasn't where he needed to be anyway. Uh He should have been praying, correct? Had he been in prayer, would he have reacted the same way? I don't know. But... That is a good lesson about being where you're supposed to be when you're told to be there. Come on. God says, I need you, I need you praying. Eh, no praying right now. I got other things going on. Okay, well, there's some things coming down the pipe. You're gonna get hit with. You're not gonna respond the way you need to because of such. You're not prepared. You're not ready. I would say, in, in a very small example, and like I say, I can't, I'm just. This is just me looking at scripture and telling you what I see. It didn't say exactly how this went down. But I, I see the reaction that Peter gave. I know he's a fiery guy, but he got caught off guard. He wasn't prayed up. He wasn't ready. And so what does he do? He pulls out and he slices his ear off. In defense, of course. Was he, you think, well, he was right, though, for defending the master. Well, I get that. But he couldn't have been in the entirety of right because Jesus picked up his ear and he healed him. You know, if it was justified, maybe he could have just left it. But that's not what happened. All right, so let's keep moving. So, however, Jesus willingly accepted his arrest as a part of God's redemptive plan, healing the injury Peter inflicted. I don't even know, I don't know how this all looked, but I can only imagine with these soldiers being there, there were quite a few soldiers there. And I can't remember, I've looked at it historically before. There was a lot of people there to take Jesus. Uh, overdone. Because they were there to take him by force. And I always thought that was interesting because how, how many was there total there in the garden? Four. Three disciples and Jesus. And they brought an, an, an entire army to actually arrest him. It's like, kind of overkill, don't you think? 
Mm-hmm. You couldn't just come in with a couple. No, that's not the way they did. They come in. What they do? They did, they come in by force. And this is the way the enemy likes to present himself, even in your life. He presents himself the same way. He comes in with torches in, in like a barrage. Why? Because it's intimidating. But at no point, even with torches and staves and all of these things that they were equipped with, at no part in this was was God ever out of control. At no part was he ever out of control. They had only gotten that far because God had allowed them to. Remember they said, you know, who are you? And he said, I am. And what happened? He fell back. Power. Authority. Okay. Jesus uttered a key question. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Good question. Remember, when Jesus asked a question, there was always there was always into to the means. He was asking to pull something out, whether it was total denial or truth. It's like, what are you going to do? Are you here? Are you here because I've, I've, uh, I'm leading a rebellion? That's a, it's a crafty question. Really good. Barabbas, who had been involved in a rebellion, would later be freed in place of Jesus. Okay, now we're, go- we're coming back to, uh, to due process. If you understand the process that took place up to that point, you know that it was completely wrong. It was customary for them to free somebody, but they called for the criminal, right? And so what do we see happening to Jesus? When Jesus was done, he was done wrong. He was treated unfairly. And I'll tell you what, church, if, if I can't find a closer parallel to the way things are going right now. And, and, and once again, this, goes, this comes to that point. I'll make sure we don't create a us versus them mentality. It's definitely becoming more so for the Christian believer. If you, I don't, I don't follow it as close, but I try to keep my knowledge up on things that are taking place uh, from a governmental perspective so I can be prepared as a, as a believer to know what's coming. I don't like to be caught off guard, and I sure like to be working against it if possible. There are obviously a lot of things that are, are being worked right now to put a damper on what we say right here. Yeah. Now, I know what I'm going to do. I know what we're going to continue to do. And I'm not villainizing anybody. I'm just saying that there are some really close parallels to what we see here in the way that they treated Jesus and the way that Christians are being treated today. And you could say, but it's unfair. You bet you it's unfair. But I don't quit, and neither do you, just because things are unfair. Sure feel like I want to, though. (laughs) Sure feel like it'd be better if it wasn't unfair. You know, I've, I've quoted different things all the time. Con- Constitution. Well, look, they're, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And what do, I, what do I do? I get all stirred up. I'm like Peter. I pull out my sword, right? And I'm ready to cut somebody's ear off. I was like, take me to the White House. Right. <laughs> Come on, dude. You got to feel the same way I do at times. Amen. So after I come down off of my, my anger high and realize where I'm at, and this is where God has been teaching me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're gonna, you, can only go, you can only do so much. You're going to have to understand that, that life is something to be lived each and every day with the power that you have been given to spread the gospel, to be a light, to constantly speak good things. I'm being very careful. Let me, let me be honest with you. I've been very careful not to speak to people about politics because it creates oftentimes it creates a negative vibe and a negative feeling 
as a Christian, I need to be talking to you about the truth, about the gospel, and encouraging you. But while I do agree that it's great to discuss certain things that are going on in our country and in our world, if that becomes the dominant topic, and that's the only thing we talk about when we're together is how bad things are, that we are off balance. We're out of balance. We don't talk about Jesus no more. We don't talk about how good God has been. We simply talk about how bad things are and how bad things are getting. You have to be very careful about letting yourself slip off into that. Come on. Amen. You say, but it's true, though, Tanner. Listen, if it's unhealthy, it's unhealthy. We create either an unhealthy environment or a healthy environment. And I wonder at times why, why at times I feel like I couldn't pray correctly. Let me be raw and honest with you. Mm-hmm. There have been times I had been praying, and I couldn't even pray fervently. I couldn't even mm-hmm. get through, because all I could think about in my mind was everything that was going on in government that I didn't like. Now, at that point, mm-hmm. it's gone too far. I've let it overwhelm me, and it has become a seed in my mind. I realized that. I realized I was wrong in that. Mm-hmm. I've taken steps back. And I've allowed God's word to begin to speak to me again. Allow mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit to speak to me again. You speak to me. I don't, <laughs> I don't want government speaking to me. I want you to speak to me. You and the Jennifer. Well, uh, you know, it says that uh, you have to confess what you... You can either confess the feed or you can you confess non feed. Right. And whatever you say is that's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. I, I totally so, agree uh, with that. Uh, I, I like that little deal on that. On Bambi, when Thumper said, if you can't say nothing good, don't say nothing else. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, good example. That's good. Very good. Really Jennifer, great. Jennifer, go ahead. Very well, good. I was just going to say the choices, um, the choices of the people. I mean, yeah. then and now. It, it was good or it was bad. Yeah. And they, the people chose Barabbas. He chose, they chose the wrong one. Chose the wrong one. I mean, and you look at today, I mean, just... You know, one of the biggest examples is pro-life or, you know, not. So, sure. you're, you know, it's you're either killing or you're living, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, you just, it's it's still a choice of the people. Yeah. You just have, there's no lukewarm. Mm-hmm. No. So no, and, and it's definitely become more concise as, we, yeah. as we've gone down. And and I and I, I think she brings up a really good point, too. It, it in regardless of... of as a believer, I know where I stand on that. But remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, wickedness in high places. Am I saying that right, Sean? I, I think I got that right. And you have to stand up. <laughs> yeah, you have, you have to stand up. So so we're not going to villainize our brother or sister, right? We're not going to villainize someone else. Where we understand where, where's this coming from? It's coming from the devil. Uh-huh. Did you have something else you want to say on that? Very good. Thank you. Still something I heard from Kings not too long ago, but uh, I think it's in Corinthians. I don't remember where it's at, but pretty much he was talking about their all adulterers and fornicators and and homosexuals and all that, and pretty much listing all the sins and stuff. And then, and then uh, Paul brings up, it's like, and you guys used to be just like them, right? Right? Like, yeah. And yeah. Sometimes we forget that. Just as we, yeah, we right. used to be just as wicked and just as evil. Yeah. And. Uh, they Good point. get on that high horse, and I know I put myself up there sometimes, and I'm like, sure. the Lord has to chop out my feet. I'm like, nope, you used to be just like that, if not worse than that person right there. And right. Like, easy, easy for us to cast judgment. Good point. Okay, let's keep moving. Note the irony of Jesus' arrest. He was taken by force as though he were dangerous. 
He was taken at night, despite the many times he had taught publicly. Verse 51 through 52 record an incident unique to Mark's gospel. A young man follow, following Jesus fled naked, leaving his garment in the hands of those who seized Jesus. Some believe this young man may have been Mark himself. It is noteworthy that this man stayed with Jesus until he was taken, yet he, like the others, ultimately fled. All right, let's go to section two. Before the high priest, Jesus was taken to the high priest Caiaphas. Gathered there was the entire body of the Sanhedrin. Peter followed from a distance and was ad admitted with the help of John into the high priest's courtyard. Rome did not allow the Sanhedrin to carry out the death penalty. The Jewish court needed to first condemn Christ, then hand him over to the Romans. It, and that, I, I personally like the, the judicial system and watching exactly how the, those things were carried out because you can see the flaws. You, you can see the, the, the flaws where things, he should have been innocent, and he was innocent. And they should have carried it out as such, but because of power, because of pressure, because of, of uh, politics. That was politics. Yeah. That's politics to the max. Because of politics, they, they had to operate that way. And believe me, let me make sure, remember, we're not villainizing anybody. Believe me, politics is the same today. It's the same today. It, it's, um, it's not all corrupt, but there's a lot of corruption in it. It's not all bad, but there's a lot of bad in it. And, and you've heard me say it before. People from the church have got to rise up and take these spots. We've we got to be ready for that whenever God calls, an opportunity calls. If, if it's in your place to be able to do so, I think God's people have got to be the ones running for offices if you want to get your country back in, in order again. Very simple. Uh, two false witnesses misquoted Jesus as saying, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. The witnesses, and I don't have time to, to go through there and find all that, but I, uh, it says the witnesses contradicted one another. Jesus was silent in response to the false testimonies. The high priest then tried to get Jesus to incriminate himself by asking if he was the Messiah. Jesus answered, I am, asserting that he was the Son of Man, a messianic title, and would return on the clouds of heaven. Caiaphas tore his clothes because Jesus, in his view, had just committed a capital offense. Do you guys remember the story? You remember when he tore his clothes? All right. So you look there, and I want someone to turn. Turn to Leviticus 24. Somebody turn in their Bibles to Leviticus 24, and I want you to read that. And I want, I want you to read it, and I want to show you where he got his anger from. Because we understand that there was Levitical law that they run by, but it was, it was Levitical law with a splash of Pharisee. It was Levitical law with a splash of, uh, of priestly opinion. Okay, so I want you to look at Leviticus 24, and when you get it, say amen. 24.16. Amen. Sean, read Leviticus 24.16. Uh, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and the entire congregation shall certainly stone him. The foreigner as well as the native in the land... When he blasphemes the name, then he shall be put to death. Right. Because of what? Because he blasphemed the name of God. Mm -hmm. He asked him the question here. He said, are you the son of God? And he said, that's me. So what did he say? Blasphemy. Right? Tear the clothes. And where was he coming from? Leviticus 24, 16. That's where he was coming from. Now, this wasn't, remember, this is not, this is not in due process. 
We're not, we're, not, we're, we're just, we're throwing this thing. We're running this thing. Through. Jesus is being run through the system. Yeah. Does that make sense? Jesus is being run through the system. So we asked that question because he already knew what he was claiming to be. He already knew that. So he's like, I'll tell you what we can do. We can further this thing. I'm going to ask him this. He's, we'll see what he says. And then we can catch him in that. So remember, if he had wanted to, he could have got out of this, but he chose not to. So he answered, he said, yeah, that's me. He then questioned the Sanhedrin, and Jesus was condemned to die. All right, so they've, they've got their, um, they've made their decision, okay? All right, so after being condemned by the Sanhedrin, Jesus suffered at the hands of those who held him. Mocking his miraculous knowledge and power, they blindfolded him, struck him, and demanded that he identify those delivering the blows. Meanwhile, Peter attempted to avoid being identified with Christ. When a servant girl recognized Peter as being with him, Peter denied for, uh, forcefully. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Peter moved to avoid her, but the girl found him again, drawing the attention of others. After a second denial, bystanders noticed that Peter was a Galilean, perhaps by accent or clothing. This brought Peter's strongest denial. The mention that Peter swore likely does not mean profanity. Well, if you if you study those words, you study the word, he says that he it says that he specifically that he swore. Now what that means is is that he was taking an oath. What that means so but when you took an oath though i mean like you and me we say i promise i won't do that again you remember like your kid your kid says i promise i won't do that anymore that's a, like a really loose version of an oath this when you made an oath then it was of the highest order so when you when it says that he was swearing he was saying i take an oath in front of all these people and this is actually where it got kind of dicey because this is where the denial's at this is where the denial is at, because he's, he's, it's almost like, um, show me to see the Bible. It's, it's like lying under oath. Yeah. You, you with me? Mm -hmm. it was, it, it, that's, that's a high offense, correct? Mm -hmm. High offense, you don't lie under oath, though everybody does. <laughs> you don't lie under oath. But this is exactly, this is, this is where the denial come from, because this was such a high order. When he, when he said, I'm making an oath, in front of everybody. You know, it's like, oh, it gets everybody's attention. Because this wasn't something that was normally oh, done. Be the truth. He said, this is the, yeah, what Jim said, this is absolute truth. I'm telling you the truth. That's where the denial happened. That's where it really turned, right there. And that was the turning point. All right. Um, I want to say that. Okay, yeah, so, uh, so swear likely uh, not being profanity. Rather, Peter was likely swearing an oath that would result in his being cursed if he broke his word. And if, you, and if you are curious about that, if you have a Strong's Concordance, how many in here have a Strong's Concordance available to them? Okay, let me encourage you guys. If you ain't got a Strong Concordance, go get one. Amen. Go get one. It's one of the best study uh, pieces of material you could ever get a hold of. Look that word up, swore, and it will say an oath. I've used Strong's for a long time, guys, and that's probably one of the best teachers that I've ever had personally. Um, because a lot of times we think a word that was mentioned in um, was mentioned in Leviticus is the same word that was mentioned in Matthew, and actually, if you look them up, they're two completely different words. Remember, we're coming from the Jewish language, Greek, Hebrew, and coming to Western culture, when we got a big gap to sew up there. <laughs> so we got to we got to have the right study material. So just an encouragement. All right. Uh, despite Peter's promise in Mark fourteen to thirty one, he had denied his Lord repeatedly. After his resurrection, Jesus would let Peter reaffirm his love for him. 
for now he was overcome by his failure and began to weep bitterly. And so there's always a contrast that's given. And I'm going to say I'm running out of time. The contrast between what Peter did in his denial and what Judas did in his denial. Right? Peter, what did he do? He broke. He got humble. He said, forgive me. Forgive me. Judas, there's no record that he repented. He was angry. And he was, he, I think he wept. He was upset. But he never says that he repented. And he went off and he hung himself. So, um, you see the, the contrast there. And, and so, that brings up the point. If, regardless of what we've done, because there... Can we agree that there's no, there's nothing worse than denying Christ? That's a high offense to deny. I'm talking deny Christ in action, deny Christ in word. You think, man, that's like the, that's like the worst thing. But what happened? He was forgiven. And then ultimately, he had told him, he said, um, I'm building my church upon you. You're the rock. I'm building it upon you. You're the one that's going to take this thing and spread it. Even in the face and even in the midst of mistakes. Even in the midst of that. All right, let's go on. i got to finish this out. i got two minutes. Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, resided on the Mediterranean coast in Caesarea. When he was in Jerusalem, he stayed in the palace constructed by Herod the Great. Since the Roman officials began their work at daybreak, the Jewish rulers were free to bring Jesus to Pilate early in the morning. The Jewish leaders had charged Jesus with blasphemy, but this would mean a little to a Roman official. So they altered their claim to treason. Due to political unrest in Israel, Pilate watched carefully for any rebellion. And that's where it really got kind of difficult because he was having to, to make decisions. He was trying to make the right decision, but his decisions were based on pressure and what everyone else wanted. That's a tough situation. Pilate asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews and replying, you have said so. Jesus used a figure of speech to answer yes. Pilate was amazed that Jesus remained silent amid the accusations of the chief priest. Those gathered at Pilate's residence had a choice to make. According to custom, one prisoner was released during the Passover festival each year. One choice was Jesus. The other choice was Barabbas, a man accused of insurrection and murder in an uprising. Okay, so this wasn't just a guy who had robbed a local store, okay? He wasn't being accused of petty theft. What was he being accused of? Murder. Murder. <laughs> insurrection. insurrection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, against their own people. So mm-hmm. this guy's been known for murdering and saying, I'm not even going to be a part of you people. Which is, once again, very high offense. Perhaps attempting to preserve Jesus' life, Pilate asked the crowd if they wanted Jesus released to them. He realized that the chief priest had delivered Jesus to him out of their own self-interest and envy. So he knows this is not right that we do this to this man. It's not right. This is not right. These people are on a, um, what's the, witch hunt. Did I say that correctly? Loose term. It's a witch hunt. Yeah. But the chief priests incited the crowd to ask that Barabbas, who shared their contempt for Rome, be released and said. Well, they, they thought they had an ally there. Pilate, known for his harshness to the Jews, now released control to the crowd, asking what he should do with Jesus. They could not name Jesus' capital offense, yet they insisted that he be crucified. That's very interesting. And this is where we're, let's come back down to, and I'm, I'm totally out of time. So uh, let me come back to that, that phrase again, due process, and, and being treated fairly in a judicial system. So from this point forward, 
I, I don't know what, what you're going to have to go through, you know, what you're dealing with now or the things that come in front of you that you have to overcome. But let me make sure that we all understand that life isn't fair. Amen. We all, do we all agree with that? Not even from a law perspective, okay? It's not always fair. And so I say that because I think that I believe in my heart and judging from Scripture that as much as I am going to try my best to change those things, to make it better for people, and regardless of what position that is that Christ calls me to, that in the end I have to understand that life sometimes is just unfair, and as Christians we have to accept that. We have to be okay with being treated like dirt sometimes. Rising up and continuing to spread the gospel. Continuing to forgive. Remember we just talked about that. Continuing to operate in the truth. Whether somebody makes it fair or legal or not. We still need to be God's people. God bless you guys. I'm out of time. Thank you.